Well, I'm going to read God's word for us in a moment, but before we do that, let's pray one more time, shall we? Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have spoken to us. We thank you that in all the all the troubles, all the trials of our life, that you're not silent, that you have something to say to us and that your words are so wonderful, so life-giving. Lord, each one of us has come here and you know what we need to hear from you today. You know whether we need to be comforted and calmed or whether we need to be challenged and pushed, perhaps even rebuked. Lord, we pray that your spirit would be with us as I speak and as we all sit under your word today. May he move move us, open our hearts to be responsive to the words that you have spoken, that we might come to know you more deeply, to depend on you more fully and to love you more greatly. We pray this, that you would be glorified among us. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to read from James chapter 4. And as before, please do stand. Um, Let's stand as we hear God's word. So I'm going to read James 4, starting from verse 13. It says this. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, Carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. This is God's word. And please do sit down. Well, it's been quite a nice start to the day. Um, I saw the forecast is rain, and I'm just waiting for it to start. It's been one of those Mays, hasn't it? All the April showers have come in May. And what you really need in a rainy month is a good raincoat, a good strong raincoat that you can trust. And the real test of a raincoat is actually when you step outside in the heavy rain, what does it do? Does it keep you dry or does it not? And that's kind of a picture that helps us understand the book of James, the letter that James wrote to the church. You see, many parts in the New Testament, they will talk about what our faith is, about how faith saves us, and about who we have our faith in, about putting our faith in Jesus Christ. But James is the one who says to us, well, yes, that's all very well, but what's that faith like out in the rain? What's that faith like out in the storms that life throws at you? Is is your faith waterproof? Will it keep your soul dry? He's about faith tested in action. Real faith needs to do its job in the rain. Otherwise, for James, he says, faith without deeds, faith without actions is just dead faith. And dead faith is nothing better than a raincoat made out of paper. 
However much you try to make it look like the real thing, it will not keep you dry. So what about your faith? Would you say you have a raincoat faith, or would you say you have a paper bag faith that falls to pieces when life gets tough? Today in these verses, we're going to think about especially what that means for how we think about the future. What does faith in Jesus look like when you're thinking about your future, when you're making decisions about your future? Are you wearing a paper bag or a raincoat? So verse 13, chapter 4, verse 13, he says this. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. These things all sound like very rich business people kind of things to say. James is about testing faith. And the first time we read this, we might think, well, this is a test for the wealthy. This is the test for the people who go on those big expensive business trips or who did before last year. This is a test for the people who say, I'm going to go to Spain on holiday next year. Or who say, in six months, I'm going to buy this company out. The jet set, the self-starters, those who seem fully in control of their future. But before we throw this out, before you say, well, that doesn't sound anything like me, we have to understand how James works, how he kind of writes. And one of his favorite ways to make a point is to give a short little sentence, a little saying for us to think about. But that is an example of a much bigger attitude that's behind that. And so he'll often say things like, don't say this kind of thing, or you should say this kind of thing, but it's bigger than just the words. If it was just about the words, I would have not even been, been allowed to read that, read that out because he, wouldn't, he would say, don't say those words, and I just did. This is about the attitude behind the words. Jesus, James doesn't have a problem, actually, with us making plans. He doesn't have a problem with you going to other cities, with you planning ahead, with you doing business, We'd never get anything done if we couldn't plan. But the point he's making here is that our words are kind of like they're the fruit on a tree. And if the fruit is bad, then the tree is the real problem. And so if the words coming out of our mouths are the wrong kind of words, then the problem isn't in our tongues. It's not in our lips. The problem is in our hearts, in our minds. Behind these words is an attitude of arrogance, of overconfidence about the future. In verse 16, he says, you boast, you brag, all such boasting is evil. When he says boast, he means you rejoice in, you celebrate, you love the fact that you're so in control of your future. We don't need to be rich or powerful to have this attitude in our hearts of being overconfident about tomorrow. How many times do we fall asleep just assuming that we're going to wake up the next day? How many times do we say, I'll meet you next week, without thinking of all the things that could happen between now and then? This is what James is going after making the decisions about the future that we have to make, but making those decisions about the future as though God is not even there. 
this idea that I'm in control. It's my future and I'm in control of it. The warning James is giving is, this is what paper bag faith looks like when you're talking about the future. This is, this is a false confidence. Overconfidence about the future. It might look like a nice quality raincoat, but when the rain starts, it's going to fall to pieces. And the reason is, we don't control our own futures. Verse 14, he says, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. Never mind in six months, never mind next year. You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Someone who makes overconfident boasts about the future is so sure, we are so sure that we are strong, that we are secure, that we will always be the same as we are now. We'll always be as powerful, as strong, as healthy, as smart as we are now. We'll always have the resources that we have now. We'll always have that network of people we depend on that we have now. Everything will always go in for us as it always has. You'll keep your job, you'll keep your health, you'll keep your money, you'll keep everything that you need. But next time you make a cup of tea, next time you boil the kettle, just watch the top of that kettle. When it boils, just watch the steam come out and see how quickly it disappears into nothing. That, says James, is your life. You're not strong and secure. How can steam from a kettle make plans for tomorrow when it's gone in a moment? The people really wearing the paper bag faith are the ones who are confident about the future. And the scariest part is that they think that they're wearing raincoats. It's steam that thinks, I'm going to be here tomorrow. But perhaps we already know that. Perhaps we do know I'm not in control. And perhaps after a year and a bit of pandemic, we've all learned that lesson of how little in control we are over our own futures. Last spring, we all had plans for the future that collapsed when COVID swept in. Many people have learned this lesson the hard way this year. For James, this is really only half of the lesson. Because most of the world, I think, on, on some level can understand that we don't control the future, that we can't control the future. James gives us more than that. But before we go into what he does give us, let's just pause and think, where does it leave us? Where does it leave you if you do stop there, if you just stop at, I can't control the future? How would that change the way you live your life, the way you make your decisions? If you only know we can't control the future, but you don't know anything more than that. I think it leaves us with three options. I want you to just listen to these three kind of snapshots of three different kinds of people and perhaps see if you can recognize yourself in any one of these. So the first kind of person is the controller. 
Controllers can't control the future, but that won't stop them trying. This is where you fight with all your strength to secure as much future as you possibly can. You pile up all your money, all your power, all your influence that you can possibly get just to make your future as long and as safe as possible. Uh, It doesn't matter to the controller how many people they will step on to secure their own future. It doesn't matter if they will hurt the future's of other people to make their own better, or even if they will hurt the present, the now of other people to make their own future better. And if this person has some kind of a relationship with God, well, God only comes into the picture as kind of an insurance option. He's only there as long as he will help my efforts to control my future. He better fit round that Otherwise, he's out. The controller tries to take back the future by force. There's another way. The second person is the thrill seeker. Our time here is short. We can't control the future. So the thrill seeker says, well, let's just enjoy the present. Let's just enjoy now before the steam disappears. Forget the future. Focus on now. Try and get as much done now. Try and enjoy my life now before the future catches up with me. Try new things. Chase pleasure at all costs. Now, I say pleasure, but those pleasures will look different for each of us. Because the thrill seeker isn't always skydiving and jumping out of planes. There's all kinds of activities and pleasures that we can throw ourselves into in the present. We can throw ourselves into just watching TV or pursuing our hobbies. We can throw ourselves into our work or our studies. And if the thrill seeker has some kind of relationship with God, then it's only as far as God is able to give me experiences in the pleasant present. Give me, give me pleasures now, God. Give me a joyful present now. Otherwise, you're out. With no hope for the future, the thrill seeker lives for the now. And then there's the third way. The third person is the couch potato. The couch potato is a sad soul who is afraid of the future. But unlike the thrill seeker, they decide that it's not worth trying anything in the present. They think it's all meaningless. Everything I do is going to end. There's no hope beyond this. And it just causes them to freeze, to just stay still, to stay at home, to think, why bother if it all turns to steam anyway? What's the point? Why try to make any plans at all? The couch potato gives up hope, won't make any plans, is confident it's not even worth the effort, and in the end just stays at home, sitting on the couch, trying nothing, achieving nothing, building nothing. Which one of those are you? The controller, the thrill seeker, or the couch potato? If you're anything like me, you probably see a bit of all three of those in yourself. You probably bounce between the three of them. 
And they might seem like three very different kinds of people. You would, it would be hard to imagine the three of them sitting in the same room and having anything in common with each other. But deep down, they do all have exactly the same problem. Each of these three has only half of the truth. Because what James is teaching us here doesn't stop at, I'm not in control. That's only half the story, because just because we are not in control doesn't mean that nobody is. So in verse 15, he says, Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. He's not saying don't make plans. He's saying when you make your plans, start by saying, if it is the Lord's will. So if his first point is, you're not in control, his second point is, but the Lord is in control. Now those words, if it is the Lord's will, we can sometimes kind of turn those into one of those Christian cliches that we just keep repeating at the end of sentences. We use them kind of like a good luck charm, where we just go and make our plans as we normally would, and then we say, well, God willing, at the end of it. Just carry on as we are, Lord willing, and that's, that's job done. I've, I've, I've done what James said, didn't I? But remember, James is not just about the words. He's about the, the attitude, the bigger, the bigger picture of the heart that, that, that would produce those kind of words. So let's not miss the bigger point here. And James's big idea that he really wants to keep in our minds, in our hearts, in the way that we think, in the way that that shapes our our decision-making is the future, however out of control it might seem, is under the control of God's will. And not just any God. James doesn't say God's will, actually. He says the Lord's will. And if you if you read through the Bible, you see that this word, the Lord, it's not just a, it's not just a direct translation of God. It's the Lord's kind of personal name, if you will. It, it's, it's Yahweh in the original language. But this is the name that God shared with his people, with Israel, when he was kind of revealing himself to them and making that covenant, that promise that he would always be with them, that he would be their rescuer God, the one who would protect them, the one who would give them a hope, give them a future, bring them safely home. And so whenever we hear this this name, the Lord, we are meant to be reminded of the Lord's personality, of what the God who is in control of the future is like. We're meant to hear that and to be comforted that the one who is in control of the future is this faithful, this unchangingly good rescuer God who sent his one and only son to die for us, who absolutely loves us, who never lets his people down who makes those promises and thousands of years into the future they come true, who can always be trusted to carry out everything that he has said that he will do. The future is not up to random chance. It's not up to fate. It's not up to some cosmic law of the universe or some vague idea of God. It's not up to several equally matched gods fighting each other for over what happens. 
The future is absolutely in the hands of this completely reliable, completely good God who loved us so much. This God who has the future in his hands, he is the one who is described as compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, abounding in love and faithfulness. So James wants behind those words of if the Lord wills, he wants us to have a picture in our minds of the Lord's personality. As well as the Lord's personality, though, James wants us to remember the Lord's plan. God has a will. That means he has not just a personality, but a plan, a desire for what he wants to happen, a direction that he is intending the future to go in. And this plan is not a mystery to us. God has shared his plan with us in the Bible. He's told us everything that he's going to do. That's what it's all about. It's all about God sending his son, sending Jesus to save us, to forgive us our sins, to bring us to himself so that we can enjoy an everlasting future, an everlasting, perfect, peaceful, joyful future with him. All of history is being moved in that direction by God. And so it is foolish. It is evil, even. It is self-destructive to go against God's plan. Because God's plan is not going to fail. But it's going to destroy you if you go against it. And you can see the cracks starting to appear in the life of the controller of the thrill-seeker, of the couch potato. Whatever they do, they're all going to come away from this empty. They're all going to come away from this with nothing, with no future. But not only will it work out poorly for us if we go against God's plan, it's not going to stop God's plan at all. Whatever we do, whatever has been tried against God's plan, whatever has been thrown against God's plan, it always seems to carry out, carry on working out. No matter how many people have tried, nothing has thrown off God's plan. You can see that again and again as you read the Bible. People are constantly messing up. People are actively opposing God. Satan's having a go. Everybody's getting in there and trying to stop God's plan, and yet it still somehow keeps coming true. So nothing is going to stop God's plan for the future, not our sin, not our mistakes, not Satan's tricks, not even the death of God's Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Whatever people threw at God's plan, it always seemed, God always seemed able to turn it to work into his favor, and we never see that more clearly than when we look at the cross of Jesus Christ. The people who killed Jesus, they thought... They were so sure that it was a victory. They thought they had won. Satan, he thought it was, it was his, his best day of his life. He thought, this is it. The Son of God has become weak and now I've won against him. I've got him killed. And yet God used that as the way to forgive our sins. God had a wonderful plan of his own for the death of his son. And more than that, he raised Jesus to life. So our evil actions, whatever is thrown against 
God and his plan. God is able to turn it and use it for our good. Genesis 50 verse 20 says that. People do evil, but God intends it and uses it for good to accomplish the saving of many lives. And if God can do that, if God can turn even the death of Jesus and even raise Jesus from the dead, what can possibly stop his plan for our future? And so how much better then is it when we work with God's plan, when we, when we work with the Lord's plan, when we come alongside it and instead of trying to oppose it, we actually start to cooperate with God. How much better is that going to go? It doesn't make God's plan any more or less likely to come true because it is going to come true with or without us. But how much better for us if we're working in harmony, going in the same direction as God is going? The right attitude is to remember the future is in God's hands. And so James ends with a warning. To not do that is to reject God, to throw God out. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. And I think the good we ought to do here that James is saying, the good that we ought to do is to say, if the Lord wills, when we're thinking about the future. And not just say the words, but have that attitude in our hearts. But how do we do that? How do we make plans for our future that fit with God's plan? How can the Lord's will be something that is more than just words that we say, a tag that we end on, just to make just to make us feel better about ourselves? How can it be something that is in our hearts, something that is a way that we live our lives? Well, many times the Lord's will is clear. Again, if you read through the Bible, there, there are so many times that God says, this is, this is what I want you to do to come alongside my plan. This is what is required of you to cooperate. There are many commands, many instructions, many guidelines about how God wants us to respond, what he wants us to do, the kind of, the kind of emotional response that he wants us to have. The kind of everything that about how we are to live in light of his plan for our future. There's so many things that you could go into there. And that would be something for another time. But today I just want to focus just a little bit while we have time on what about when the Lord's will is less clear for your future. Because many times in our future we're making decisions about stuff that the Bible doesn't directly tell us about. The Bible doesn't say what God's will is for your next job, for your, your for where you're going to live next, for how long you're going to live in this place, for who you're going to marry, for whether to go to this or that city, to spend a year there, to carry on business, those kind of things, those decisions, the Lord's will seems a bit less clear about, doesn't it? That's because these decisions, they're often not about right and wrong, but about wisdom. Because these kind of decisions, God has actually given us a lot of freedom for how we go about this. He set this big fence around us of his, of his commands, his instructions, and his personality of, of what kind of 
what kind of God he is and who he wants us to be in response to that. But within that fence, there's a whole lot of freedom to run around, to play, to, to work, to, to make our decisions, to live our lives. There are so many options. There are so many opportunities that we have, so many different ways that we can choose to use our gifts, to use our opportunities, our responsibilities in a way that fits with God's personality and his plan. And we can pray about which way to go. We can, we can ask advice from the people who know us. But the important thing here is not to get, not to tie ourselves up in a knot about the short-term future. It's to keep the way, just to keep God in there, to keep God in there shaping us and shaping the way that we think about our future. Knowing that we have that long-term hope. And when God shapes our future, we can face our future with a raincoat, with a real raincoat that is going to stand up to the storm. We can face our future with the real hope that when the steam of this life disappears, that it's going to be replaced with something far more solid, with something far more lasting, with something far better. And until that happens, sometimes our plans will go the way we want, sometimes they won't. But if we keep the Lord's will, if we keep his plan and his personality in our minds, in our hearts, we can face the future confidently, whatever happens. Even if you can't yet see exactly how or when that future is coming, if you know the Lord's personality and if you know his plan, then you know it is coming. And even if your plans don't work out, that's not thrown off God's plan. God has a better future for you. Let's pray, shall we? Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much that it is you who is in control. We thank you that you have this wonderful plan to rescue us from our sin, to give us an eternal life, a blessed future, a peaceful future, a pain-free future, a future with no suffering. Father, we thank you that this is our hope. And when we say hope, we don't mean just something that might or might not happen, but something that is absolutely certain, that you proved time and again, and especially in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that this is something you absolutely have the power and the intention to bring about, and nothing will stand in the way of that. Father, we thank you that this is your plan for our future. And we repent. We are so sorry, Lord, for all the times we have failed to understand that, that we've tried to take control or to just live for the present, or to just sit and do nothing. The times when we've feared that the future is out of control, that there is no hope. Lord, fill us with your hope. And shape us with that hope. Help us to use that hope as our guiding light as we make our decisions of what to do until we enter that 
great future, that perfect future. Lord, give us wisdom. Guide us with your word. Guide us with your Holy Spirit through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.